Time to stop the chaos. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time to stop the chaos now. On Fundraising Heyday, we talk a lot about how grant seeking gets more complex every year. Make 2023 the year you finally get a system to track grant deadlines and information. It's time to stop the chaos with Grant Holster. It was developed for grant professionals by grant professionals, which makes all the difference. First month is always free. And Grant Holster is giving our listeners a 25% discount on the entire first year of your subscription. Just enter Heyday, all one word, H-A-Y-D-A-Y, as your coupon at checkout, and you'll get that amazing discount. And they have a hands-on demo at grantholster.com that lets you explore the platform on your own. But if you want someone to walk you through it, they also have folks that can do that. So if you've been struggling with spreadsheets, clunky applications with a million workarounds, or just keeping your deadlines on sticky notes, head over to grantholster.com and take a look. And remember to enter the coupon code HEYDAY at checkout to get your 25% discount for a full year. And stop the chaos. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes Day Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We're here to help you make sense of the complex world grant writing, fundraising, including how to raise funds, win grants, and work together to change philanthropy for the better. Very true. And episodes drop every two weeks and sometimes include things like cheesy songs and sound effects because learning doesn't have to be boring. This podcast is brought to you by our season six sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Their team can help make grants less stressful by assisting you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Don't let grants stress you out. Did you know that with every fundraising heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. Now, dear listeners, part of why Kimberly and I started this podcast was to shed light on the organizations and individuals out there doing that innovative work that we all want to see in the nonprofit world. It's true. Um, It's easy to rant about what's wrong, and we have spent many episodes over the last six seasons doing just that. Um, And while it's important to call out inequities and call out issues and concerns and mistreatment when you see it, we both feel like it doesn't really do a whole lot of good if all you do is call it out and don't either bring forth solutions yourself or seek others who have solutions and hold them up as well. So what better way to learn about what works than talking to folks who've gone out and figured out what will get the job done? Very true. So that's why we're talking to our friend Art Cerna today. Art began his career as a youth program coordinator and development professional. He spent a large part of his journey in community development and education, working for children and families who are left behind or systematically barred from access to opportunities in the U.S. and abroad. 
He joined Teach for America in Oklahoma City as their executive director in 2016 as part of leading the expansion of their social entrepreneurship offering, alumni programming, and learning around the intersection of education and economic mobility indicators. He was appointed as the new CEO for City on a Hill in May 2021, and that's where I got to meet Art. Um, it was in his leadership role at City on Hill on Hill where he um, is doing some really great things, and that's what we're talking to him about. And one of the things I love, um, Art, you say that City on a Hill is more than a faith-fueled nonprofit. We are a movement for good. So welcome to the show. We're excited to talk about all that good today. Thank you. appreciate having me. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Kimberly. It's good to be here. Excellent. So, well, we always ask our guests to begin with, like, what is your origin story? Because no one really says when they're 12, I want to be a grant writer, or I want to work in the nonprofit world. But it sounds like you've spent a lot of time doing that. So how did you find yourself in that role to begin with? Yeah, well, you know, I think for me, the family legacy is, is very rooted in why I do what I do today. For me, that means my maternal grandfather uh, was a, a Mexican a migrant worked uh, for with his hands for much of his life, never learned to read, but he always carried with him uh, this heart for community engagement and having strong communities. So he passed that down through my parents to myself. And uh, after graduating from college, I was just developed this deep passion for community engagement and transformative change. So I'm an AmeriCorps alum. I did a service here down in South Texas. So the whole concept of volunteering, uh, civic engagement, community involvement uh, came into my uh, being in terms of what leadership meant from very early beginnings since high school. And it's stayed with me ever since. That's very cool. Nice. So I guess as part and parcel of that, it was engaging the community, but also funding that engagement and all that entails that was sort of a big driver for you as well. Absolutely. I think, you know, my grandfather, you know, talking about what is wealth and what is generosity. Um, when he f went into a neighborhood back in down in South Texas and Mexico, if he saw there was something missing, uh, he would invest area residents to get together and like build something. If they were missing a chapel for worship, they would, he would garner people to come together and give what they had. So that whole concept is the same for me now in, in the nonprofit sector with City on a Hill. Uh, you know, we've been listening to our residents. Been, I moved during the pandemic here to Milwaukee. So we've been hearing the growing cry for change in, in Milwaukee neighborhoods, given high poverty rates. And so we've been listening deeply and then connecting those needs and aspirations and the dreams of residents in the Milwaukee area uh, to those uh, who are better off and are wanting to make change possible. And so we just connect those two needs and aspirations with people wanting to make a difference. We're the bridge between those two worlds. I love it. I love to hear it referred to that way. It's the way I feel too. I, I can't stand it when people say, oh, I, I just beg for money. To, and I'm just like, no. <laughs> well, you know, be who you are and feel your feelings and do your thing. But I feel like this kind of work is truly connecting it's connecting that's as a consultant or as an employee or whatever it's like here are some things that communities have identified they want and need to thrive and here's some people who want to help you know let's get together exactly. so yeah exactly and so 
So speaking of things that you've identified at City on a Hill, um, one of the, oh, I would say maybe an overarching goal um, that y'all set was to reduce childhood poverty by 50, 50, 50%, in the neighborhoods you serve by 2033. So it's, it's all the things that we talk about. It's specific, it's measurable, and it's time bound, but it's also incredibly ambitious. Um, what are some of the ways that you are going about reaching that goal? Yeah, well, I, I think I'll start by saying first, coming from my journey in Teach for America, we were looking at the 30 years of growth and impact um, academically in education, the role of education towards improving conditions for students of color. Um, and it was very clear to us that uh, this was a very complex issue be, beyond just academics. Uh, for students, we talked about the social determinants of health and it was holistic. And But we were also looking at research that the technology, big data, was allowing us to see data in layers and in ways that we could, couldn't before. And so we were able to see one, that change was possible down at the neighborhood level, uh, being able to combine many data sets. And so we looked at uh, many research points, but one in particular with Opportunity Insights and Raj Chetty and their work on economic mobility, looking at neighborhoods within the United States that um, had indicators that were allowing kids to uh, move and, and be far better off achieving the American dream compared to their parents by the time that they were 30. And so that really inspired us to say, one, this is possible, like change at this scale in terms of halving the child poverty rate has been done before in different communities. And we felt that through COVID, uh, communities and residents were telling us like bigger change is needed. And so that informed us that one, it's possible we can look at proof concepts across the country. Uh, and then what can we do together with our network to bring that to bear in neighborhoods in Milwaukee? Well, and one of the things I really appreciate about City on a Hill, you know, I've worked with a lot of nonprofits before where they they kind of do one thing and they do that one thing really, really well. Like it's a food bank, so they feed the hungry really, really well. Or they're a, a clinic, so they provide health care really well. But what I love about City on a Hill is you guys really look at that holistic approach to the family and you are not just educating, but you are helping with health. You are helping with housing. You are helping with um, dealing with trauma and you're, you're kind of providing that overarching net that families need to be able to survive, basically. Um, and so I, yeah. I really, if you can expound a little bit more about all you know the different programs and activities y'all are doing, because it's more than just one thing you guys are doing at once. Yeah, I, you know, I think people sometimes get, uh, whether it's discouraged by how complex this thing, it's a, a it is. you know, a, a, a big audacious goal, right? But I think when you start walking with people in it, you, you recognize one, that it's worth it uh, as you walk with young people. So we've been around 22 years. And uh, during that time, we, we saw young people who came to us when they were five grow and, and graduate from college and be the first in their family to achieve a certain level of uh, success. Uh, but we also understood that, you know, the family unit as a whole still needed uh, to thrive alongside that young person, right? As they were achieving the first career job, the first job, the first interview. Um, and so we, we felt that the family as a whole, we needed a model that could, uh, because again, we weren't just talking about situational poverty for us. It was about generational poverty. 
And that pushed us to look at the entire household as opposed to just uh, an adult or just a child. And so that for us means that the, the approach to solution has to be holistic. Um, and for you to truly thrive and break the poverty cycle, we start talking about health and well-being. So what is what is your spiritual, your social, educational, economic condition? And so all of our programs uh, tackle all of those components for a household. Once to through the health outreach, through our medical clinic that we have for those who have no insurance. Uh, because again, if you're, if you're trying to improve the income of a household and the head of the household is always sick or dies early, that really creates a barrier to creation generational wealth creating generational wealth in the family. So health and wellness is important. Or if you're always sick, right, you can't keep a job because you're always sick. Or if your mental health isn't well, you can't be creative in a job uh, and, and you can't think your best. And so all of those things are important components. So we meet the basic needs through our youth center and we our food pantry, uh, but we're helping educating people to know how to become self-sufficient. Uh, but we're also creating a community around them uh, through the many, many churches that collaborate with City on Hill, both in Wisconsin and throughout the country that come and bring their talent, their generosity, their time, their mentorship to support families that are on their journey out of poverty. So, again, just to sum it up here, the holistic approach is actually very important for these kind of issues, uh, because many times the families that we work with, it's not just one thing, right? It's not just the literacy for their child. It's the income for the households, it's the health, and it's how do you create a system that they can navigate through trust and achieve all of these things all at the same time. And that's what the model that City on a Hill has is enables us to be able to do. Yeah. Well, and it's a beautiful thing to witness, that's for sure. Um, well, and one of the things too, I think you all do really well, you know, we talk a lot about collaboration and a lot of people like to say they collaborate, but you know, true collaboration takes time and effort and it's not easy, but I know City on a Hill, you all, you know, you were donated a, a large facility. You knew you weren't going to use all that space to begin with. And you, it sounds like you guys immediately opened your doors to other foundations and nonprofits and were like, come provide your services. So you're kind of a one-stop shop. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about those agencies you're working with yeah. and how you guys work together to really um, make things better for Milwaukee. Sure. So, I mean, people can research the story of the Milwaukee hospital it goes all the way to back 1863, but on this campus, historically, it's been individuals coming together to do something better than they could by themselves. Uh, and it went through many iterations until we took hold of the, the campus uh, as a former Milwaukee hospital, it became city on a hill. Uh, but we knew the first step we took at housing was a big issue in Milwaukee and just stability in housing. So uh, we we were able to uh, partner with a community developer. So we sold up parts of the building for housing, both for family mixed income housing and then senior housing that still we still work together with those housing developers. But within the property, we still manage. Uh, we know that we can't win at every lane of the programmatic uh, work. And so we bring in some of those other supports. I give you a couple of examples. The Adult Learning Center, it's a GED recovery for adults um, who still need uh, to get that high school equivalent credential. 
uh, for a job. So we uh, Adult Learning Center is housed on the second floor of City on a Hill, uh, and they provide class classes in the evening during the day um, for adults in the house who need that. Uh, we also have a uh, Employ Milwaukee. They're a large organization in uh, Milwaukee, uh, but they have a satellite office here at City on a Hill. So an individual looking for a job can have an intake session right here at City on a Hill uh, and be on the path to a better earning, better earning job. We have a Fresh and Save. They're a food, uh, they're a catering company that also provides a meals, healthy meals for school lunches. So in all of that, and, and we have others, but it, it just creates this community of people invested in strengthening Milwaukee communities and in particular uh, communities of color that have long struggled with having quality resources at their fingertips. And we try to bring that to bear here at City on a Hill. Well, like I said, I think it's a, I think you guys are a great example of collaboration, providing the space and providing the one-stop shop, providing just the connections amongst, because I think too many times nonprofits are all doing great work, but it, it can be very easy to just stay in your lane and do it in a silo. And you're missing out on yeah. that, that growth that's going to happen when you're all working together. So I think uh, y'all are a great model. Another reason we Thank wanted you. to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> I agree. And I also think um, if you're listening to this and you're like, but I'm just a cramp writer sitting in a corner, what can this have to do with me? And it has everything to do. If you're working on um, grant funding for your own organization that may have a very good, but a narrower focus, sometimes you can use a grant proposal itself to kind of help. I mean, it's not ideal, but it's real world stuff to help drive collaborations or help start conversations around that and say, here is this opportunity. If we come together, we can provide more of an umbrella sort of coverage of services and bring in more money to do the good things. So that's just why it's really important to me on this podcast to hold up examples of things that do work and more creative ways to, to um, get around that. And as uh, people who are fundraisers and grant writers or love those who do that or who who are consultants or whatever. I just it's a it's it's a way to move beyond just the let's fill this out and ask this person and sort of say how can we bring that conversation and bring good good money energy um into working together. So um and, and well, speaking and of all these cool things, there well, was, real quick, Kimberly, I, I would say too. I was just going to say, we've talked before on the podcast before, especially like grant collaborations and stuff. Sometimes I found it's so much easier at the staff level to come up with an idea, get a good plan in place, and then present it to your board or your elected officials, whoever you're working for, and give them something to look at. Because if you just say, hey, elected official or hey, board, we need we need to start collaborating better it can be harder for them sometimes from the top down. And so sometimes when you kind of serve it up, like, Hey, we've got thought of this great idea. What do you think? When we've already figured out all the things, um, sometimes it works better. So as a grant writer, sometimes you really can drive change from the ground up. So. Yeah. You know, I would tell some of the partners that we have it there, they might be smaller organizations, right. And talking to their board, partnering with an entity like city on a hill, given our geography, uh, the number of years we've been around, it, it really they've done it as a way. How, how do we how do we grow the reach, the visibility of our work uh, by being placed there? And, and and it absolutely has opened doors for grant and fundraising collaboration and also communications and marketing. 
Um, and that's been important. We've seen that evolution in the philanthropic space from uh, donors who, uh, in, institutional donors who want to have deeper uh, transformative change impact, uh, seeing collaborations um, and, and co-location happen because of what the pandemic enabled us to see, at least in communities that were struggling and were struggling even deeper come through the pandemic. And seeing the collaborations, we've seen a real power and synergy from uh, approaching donors with these concepts of uh, co-location partnerships. So there may be a bigger uh, entity in somebody's community that a smaller nonprofit could really provide. What they provide for me is it allows us to extend the ability, the resources we can provide to a family. Um, and, and I don't have to grow that in my, uh, you know, in my operating budget, right? I can do it through a partnership and that's very compelling. It's a win-win. Very true. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just, I think that's just what it's all about. Um, and I think it's too, it's so easy sometimes because I fell into that, especially early on in my career. It's like, here's my revenue goal. I'm going to fill that bucket. This is me shoving things into a bucket. If you're listening to us just um, and not seeing the visual, that was what I was doing. But um, I think it's just really important to sort of step back and see how can we expand that. And sometimes it is that leading from within or managing up or educating up where you're helping uh, break down those silos. Um, and sort of related to that, um, a program that you have at City on the Hill that I would love to for you to talk more about is the R3 workshop. It's uh, removing racial residue as a way to address racism and create a more compassionate society. And from some information we got before the podcast, um, it looks like you have um, worked with or trained and collaborated with at least 5,000 folks since starting this. And I just would love for you to tell us more about it and and the effects that you've seen in the community as a result of the uh, R3 workshop. Yeah, yeah. I know folks have ever read, you know, or heard the concept about uh, trust and, and, you know, things can move at the speed of trust. And, you know, for sure, in the work that we're doing, it's it's human heart to heart stuff. It's like poverty is, is a set of um, uh, contextual indicators in, in the environment, but also decisions that are made over time, both by policymakers and individuals and households and et cetera, employers. So it's a set of decisions that are made and they aggregate over time. And I, I think uh, being able to visualize the impact of that, both at the individual level, at the systems level, uh, allows us to see that we have prejudices and biases and, 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 th and thinking, working on this stuff, because we're bringing people together, both from suburban communities who, who want to see uh, their neighbors somewhere else in the state thrive at the same time as they might like understanding about, I don't really fully understand the problem. And in the work that City of Hill does, we talk about, we got to become obsessed with the problem, right? Not with our solution because your solution might need to change. That's what we learned during the pandemic. You have to adapt. You have to be able to adapt. Uh, we had to in educating children, for example. We were a youth center. We became almost like a, a, a full school at, at the time. We had to adapt. So it, the R3 workshop uh, was developed in our knowledge as we were uh, supporting those who were homeless, those who were poor, those who were um, had mental health issues really developing empathy for their journey 
in life and then also bringing others that didn't share that but cared in some way how do how do we equip you to do good uh in that space without causing harm uh because you lack understanding and and we we knew that that was important and we at our core we're an educational institution like we do a lot of training and learning and equipping people so the author workshop was developed by our founder uh, diane de los santos and, and some other partners early on in our work to equip churches and uh schools and corporations around how to create environments where people across lines of difference could come together and work and and really make a, a more compassionate world together um, and so we do we use visual metaphors uh personal stories group discussions to foster open dialogue uh talking about issues of race and we promote healing growth and collective action um so it is i would say it's a first path of people understanding like hey i've heard about this i, I have a ton of questions can you help me create a space for learning where you push me, but you're also supporting my learning and holding me through my, you know, areas where I'm, I'm, I'm going to hear something for the first time or something that really challenges my understanding of what I thought about poverty or urban communities or cities or communities of color. So the Arthur workshop enables us to do that. And we've done it for large corporations. We've done it for churches all over Wisconsin. And when we have mission teams come and do service work, uh, we've got a team right now at City on a Hill, and they will go through the R3 workshop. So we offer it. We're going to be growing and expanding that work uh, across the country uh, later this fall. So I'm excited. Thank you for asking that question about the R3 workshop, because it's. I think it's fundamental and it's critical. We couldn't do the work that we do without it. I, um, I'm just so excited to hear that the work is going to expand, because Amanda and I are are white and we're Southern and she will politely call me middle-aged and I'll accept that. But um, <laughs> as the world's oldest living Gen Xer, um, but I think it's really important, particularly if you're, if you are a white person working in an organization where you're serving people and you don't have their lived experience. I have just, seen and heard a lot of folks going to maybe people that they're working with in their community and saying, so what's this racism all about anyway? Can you explain it? And to me, it's it's always like, hey, your house is on fire. Can you tell me about fire safety? It's like, no, let's go to other sources other than the people who might actively be dealing with all sorts of systemic things all day long and not asking those same people to educate um, yeah. educate us. Does that make sense? I, I know it's kind of a sure. crazy you know, way of talking what, about it. What, one visual metaphor we use is like a, a apartment building on fire, right? You might live in the apartment. You didn't set the fire. Um, and and it might not impact your apartment, but the smoke of it gets in the walls, gets in your lungs, gets all over the place. It tarnishes the look of the place. Uh, and in many ways, that smoke, right? Like it, it will impact you over time. You carry it with you. And um, it's hard to take out um, of the walls, right? But like it impacts you. Non and you, you got nothing to do with the thing. And so the whole concept of the journey of people in, in understanding uh, race and racism and it, barriers to people getting ahead uh, is, is important work. Uh, we, we do it as a faith-based organization from a biblical justice lens and paradigm. 
Uh, we believe God has a has a heart for uh, the poor, and uh, justice is part of fundamentally of Scripture. And so we just unveil and unpack that. What does that look like? What does it mean? And and use personal stories of individuals from various uh, ethnic backgrounds to share their perspective and journey in life. Uh, and then also, but not just like, hey, here's the impact that these things have had in my life, but also here's the growth that I've experienced, here's the journey of learning I've been on, and then here are some solutions for others who want to uh, remove that residue so that they can show up in places better, they can lead better, they can be more generous. And even as they approach their generosity, even the whole philanthropic space, right? It's also educating um, philanthropists about these issues so that as they decide how do they step into generosity, they're actually uh, showing up as more authentic um, more impactful and something that's already in their heart. But as they're doing it, they're actually advancing uh, what matters alongside those that are more most impacted by uh, these realities. Nice. It's such important work. I'm glad that there will be, um, uh, sounds like a national outlet for people who want to educate themselves and there, there'll be a re, there, there are resources to go and actually do that rather than just asking a person of color if you're white, gosh, what can I do? It's like maybe educating yourself and unpacking that is a great first step. So just wanted to hold that up as an example of something you could do if you find yourself in that situation. Also, I love this, the smoke in the apartment building. Not that I love it because it's a terrible thing, but it's also a really powerful metaphor. So thanks for sharing. Sure. Hmm. Um, well, I had the privilege of working with City on a Hill for a short while, so I know you guys have been successful in grant seeking because I've seen some of the, the work you've been doing in that regards. Um, and there are so many newer nonprofits that seem to think that that's the solution. You know, you hear about people getting grant money. That's the solution. All I need to do is get a few grants. But we know when you're new, when you're not very big, it's hard. And even yeah. when you are larger, grants, you know, usually are not the end all be all solution to your problem. So I'd love to just hear how grants play a role in your organization, but just talking about how you all fund your work. Cause I'm, I, I know it's way yeah, more than grants. Sure. Absolutely. No, it's a great question. And and I think, you know, obviously we, 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 we started with a massive uh, responsibility, right? Like we, we had a building that was over a hundred thousand square feet. At the, well, when we first got it, it was over 300,000 square feet of property. Uh, and no programming at the time or when we first started. So it's, it's, that's a big undertaking because like maintaining a building at that size, just maintenance by itself. Alone. All right. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, oh my goodness, I've, I'm already starting behind. Um, and so it was important for us to find, uh, really make the case to the community that we could, we could fill those, those things with helpful programs and services that the community needed. Uh, so we absolutely grants played a role at different times in the organization's 22 year background uh, to grow. Like it helped us launch the medical clinic, Aurora Foundation grant enabled us to create that clinic, like get it, renovate the space to to start there. Uh, a Bader Philanthropies grant allowed us to start really launch, be like the seed funds for launching a youth center uh, within the grounds. But uh, what what is true is that any organization, if you're truly going to be sustainable and maintain impact, you're going to have to rely on a diversified funding strategy. Um, there have been stages in City on a Hill where we've been over-reliant on the grants because it, it really fueled our, our growth during the season. Um, 
but we it, it is really really tricky uh, to sustain um, at, that way if you're heavily relying on grants and and, and because you're it also creates monitoring and reporting um, obligations uh, for you to the donor and to the funder, um, and so that that's important for people to keep in mind. Um, we, we've continued to look at how do we continue to diversify our funds through individual donation programs, corporate partnerships. We do events as well, uh, and and but having a healthy nonprofit for us is looked at like there. There's been times where we're you know, 50, 60% of our funding pie came from grants. And that's not a place we want to be in, honestly, um, because uh, w- then you're you're really having to live uh, to the requirements of those donors and funding institutions, right? If, if their yeah. priorities change, like they did in COVID during the pandemic, uh, you're in trouble, right? If you don't have... Uh, a program that really aligns to those funding priorities, you, you could really see a significant part of your budget like uh, impacted by that. I think we benefit as an organization just because we've been, we've had such a holistic approach that we've been able to adapt and evolve, but we, we are at this time uh, seeking to um, really grow our individual uh, donor programs, uh, both through plant giving and major donor uh, circles, so that we can uh, balance against um, uh, just being over overly reliant on institutional funding, and then last of all, we we also have the training programs like the R three workshop. Those are fee for service. So continuing to increase uh, those components of it over time, uh, so we can sustain changes in the philanthropic space in, ter- in terms of hey, now we want to do a lot more in health. Um, and, if, you know, we saw through the pandemic, a lot of foundations were focused on that COVID emergency. Um, and then now they're they're pivoting back uh, to uh, other things. And that that change can be really, really precarious for an organization if you're not well prepared to balance it. Yeah. So yeah, I want very to, true. <laughs> I'd love to like plaster that everywhere. Like a balanced and diversified funding stream is the way to go because too many people just see grants as, oh, it's free money. And, but you're right, Art, it's, it comes with strings. It comes with reporting. It comes with, it, you grants usually create more work than when you started. And so, which it's not a bad thing if you're able to fund programs that need funding, but it's, it's not free and it's not always easy. So I, I appreciate that you get that as a CEO because sometimes bosses and boards don't get that. Sometimes they don't. Maybe we can just do a, that snippet and um, let listeners and viewers know. It's like, if you're experiencing trouble with your board, here's yeah. a CEO explaining this fear to fear. Yeah. Let's have a listen. Well, we it's, al- it's, it al- <laughs> it's almost like one of those uh, pharmaceutical commercials, right? They show you all the good things and you're seeing people having a happy time and doing things, but it's, like this may cause this and that, you know, really bad. At the day. So you yeah, got to really know worse. that that's there's worse than the problem it's solving. Wait, <laughs> they'd be like, wow, that's a lot. It's a big, you know, and, and so I think people just need to consider that um, in, in it, but it, it definitely, it, they have their place and they have their role. Uh, and absolutely. And, and, and so we, we, and then there's so many ways through a, a, a foundation, um, that partners with you multiple years, they often get involved in other ways and their trustees can become individual donors as well. So there's many benefits from having a longstanding relationship 
um, with with a foundation, an institutional funder in the community. You just have to be considerate about how that may change. Yeah, very, very true. true. Very true. So I'm going to switch it up for a second and also just take a moment to appreciate how busy you are, Art, because the next thing I want to ask you about is uh, you just started a podcast. So as if a 100,000 square foot facility with 22 years serving complex, deeply rooted issues was not keeping you busy enough. You actually have started a podcast called Deep Dive MKE in May, and we're recording this in June of 2023. Um, as podcasters, we love to learn about uh, what people can expect from the pod and where folks can find it if they'd like to learn more about the great work you're doing. Oh, well, thank you for the plug. I, I appreciate it as we seek to get the word out about it. Uh, but yeah, you know, for us, um, for some, if, if people, if their only unit of like processing things in the world is the news media, you become discouraged really, really fast. And and so um, when for a community like Milwaukee, we're also having often having to battle the narratives and, and perspectives and the biases that somebody has already built about what is and isn't possible in a community like Milwaukee. Um, and so we wanted to be able to elevate the voices of those that are on a journey um, of transformation and uh, the pod in a way that we could help really make, how do we, we, it's storytelling. How do we tell that story through the voices of young people and staff members and board members and volunteers that are seeing the work, that are building relationships um, and uh, really creating thought-provoking conversations about issues of poverty, racial reconciliation, community transformation, and, and make the case that this is absolutely possible to do this. Uh, and, and you should, people should give time and money and, and perspective to these type of efforts. Um, the podcast is available in every major podcast platform, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. It's all it's all there. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more marketing to get it out. So I appreciate the opportunity to do this. We've 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 recorded the first set of uh, episodes, and so we'll, we've already got two that are there. Uh, and we'll start with major marketing uh, starting next week. Nice. That's well, exciting. I have I, I listened to the first episode because I you know so I know your work and wanted to hear that before we talked to you today. And um, so you interviewed a local pastor, and yeah. I loved his story about how you know he realized that he was so focused on the church, mm. and he realized I'm in the middle of this entire community that needs help. It's not just the people who walk through the doors. And so he he now sure. is kind of like I feel like he's the pastor of Milwaukee, not just his you know his congregation and some of the work that he's doing. So he had some fascinating insights and stories yeah. to tell. So I highly recommend you, even if you're not from Milwaukee, you know nothing about it. Just know that it's just, it's, it's storytelling, which is, um, who doesn't and love positive that? and like solutions, yeah. right. And people, yeah. read, I just, I think that's great. Yeah. You don't have to be from Milwaukee to want to hear about positive solutions and think how they could affect you and your community. So absolutely. So good deal. Well, for those who want to learn more about City on a Hill and, and you, Art, and your work you're doing, where can they find you, your website, all that good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, they should visit our website at www.cityonahillmke.org, uh, and th they will find everything about what we're doing, updates. They can sign up for a newsletter 
right on the homepage uh, and stay in touch. And uh, for those who want to plug in just individually as a leader, they can find me on LinkedIn. Nice. So, and I can attest to you, you all do a good job of, um, of having videos on YouTube that talk about your different programs and some of the work that you're doing. So, you know, that's a great way to find out more about them as well as check out their YouTube page. So, Thank you. So, well, thank you so much for coming on today and just sharing about all the good work that's going on and focusing on positive changes and, and how to realistically go about it. It's just been a real pleasure. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you, Amanda. Take care. Thanks, Art. Thanks. Uh, once again, and as always, we are so glad that you chose to spend time with us today. Whether you're watching on YouTube or checking us out on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're finding us, we really appreciate it. If you are um, watching along on YouTube or listening along on Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a review, it's so helpful in helping us master the mysterious algorithms and reach other people who, like you, just want to keep learning and growing and about grants, fundraising, and just really making philanthropy a place for positive change. And if you just can't get enough of that heyday stuff, because really, who could blame you? I mean, look at us so well accessorized. Um, visit our new website, heydayservices.com. You got past episodes there. You've got all kinds of information. And um, maybe you want to sign up for our newsletter, the Heyday Hot Takes, coming to an inbox near you to stay abreast of tips and trends and also find out where we're going to be speaking or training next. Also grants and such, because that's what we do. Thank you again to our season six sponsor, DH Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com to download their latest resources today. We're so honored you chose to spend time with us today. I hope you'll join us again in two weeks. We're talking with a grant professional who works in local government who created a program that brought together all of the nonprofits serving that community to help build collaboration and trust and joint grant applications and all kinds of lovely stuff. It is a beautiful thing and we can't wait to tell you all about it. So join us then. Thank you.